So, so thankful for all of the volunteers that make this church. What an amazing church that does amazing things. So we have amazing people. And we do it for our amazing God. Amen. What a privilege to serve him and to serve with you. Let me quickly give you an account that's recorded in Acts 19. Paul was on his third missionary journey. He traveled to Ephesus. On the coast, he found several believers of Jesus, and Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they looked at him and said, we've not so much as even heard of the Holy Ghost. And then Paul says, well, how were you all baptized? And they said, into John's baptism, unto repentance. And Paul said, John's baptism, yes, it called for repentance. But even John said, they told the people that to believe on the one that was coming after him, that John was talking about Jesus. And as soon as these people heard that, They were baptized in the name of Jesus. Then Paul laid his hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. They began speaking in other tongues according to the word of God. So Paul continued to travel in Ephesus and went to the synagogue and preached there, preached boldly there for about three months. But he met some opposition as often he did. And some were stubborn rejected the message and started publicly blasting the gospel. So, so, so Paul left the synagogue and he took the believers with him and then he started holding some daily discussions. Maybe we could call them Bible studies in the lecture hall there. And that went on for two solid years. God was working through Paul and many miracles were done. But People were getting saved. A a holy fear of God came on that entire city, and Jesus was greatly honored there. Many people that were saved, of course, stopped doing their sinful ways, and a lot of these people had been practicing sorcery. And when they got saved, they, they brought all their incantation books, and there was a massive bonfire there, a public bonfire burning these books. The the value they estimate was in the millions of dollars they burned because. They no longer wanted that. We're talking a massive revival. During this time, though, some serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the church. It began with a man by the name of Demetrius. He was a silversmith. He was a business owner, and he manufactured shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis, and he employed several people. Here's where I want you to really pay attention. Demetrius got all his workers together. Then he even called all of his competition in town, the other business owners in the city who made shrines and idols, the competitors, people who worked against each other to win your business. Demetrius got them all together and he says, guys, you know our wealth comes from this idol-making business. But as you've seen and heard, this, this Paul guy, he's, he's persuaded so many people that handmade gods really aren't gods at all. And he's not only done that in our city, he, he's done that throughout all the province of the entire province. So this has brought about some problems, guys. We're losing business. Our stocks are drastically dropping. The bottom line is looking pretty low. Pretty rough. We're losing respect. Demetrius continued, and I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will influence, will lose influence, and will be robbed of her prestige. Because of that little speech, 
people start getting furious. A riot started in Ephesus. The entire city was in chaos. People started running to the massive amphitheater. And so because others saw others running, everybody in town just started running. Half of them had no clue what they were running for. They were just all running into the amphitheater. And inside that amphitheater, people shouting all different directions, all different things. And half of them, again, had no clue what was even happening. They just knew that there was just turmoil in that city. And and a man gets up to try to silence the crowd. And when they found out that he was a Jew, uh, his name was Alexander, they, they started shouting, all those people, great is Artemis of the Ephesians for over two hours finally got a hold of the mayor of Ephesus and got him down there to quiet them down. And he told them, you know, if you have a dispute against Paul, if you have a dispute against the church, the courts are open. Take it to the court. But calm down, everybody, because Rome does not look kindly on riots. And if they find out this entire city is rioting, they're going to send an army in and we're all going to be in trouble. The mayor dismissed them. They all dispersed. A great account. Here's what I want to bring out of that. All the idol makers who were normally at odds, all the businessmen who were normally in fierce competition to make a dollar, they all came together. They all united. They all were in one place. They all rallied for a common cause. For the moment, at least, they were no longer concerned that Bob's Idol Emporium was running an end of summer sale. They were no longer talking about Idols R Us doing a back-to-school discount. They were all unified for one cause and a very bad cause at that. They were unified to stop the church, to stop people from being changed to stop people being saved and worshiping the one true God. Let me show you something else in Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41, 6 and 7 says, They helped everyone his neighbor, and everyone said to his brother, Be of good courage, verse 7. So the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and he that smootheth with the hammer, him that smote the anvil, saying, It's ready for the slaughtering, and he fastened it with nails that it should not be moved. If you just look at these verses, they don't sound too bad. And you read them, it sounds really good. Everybody helping each other, high-fiving each other, and patting each other on the back, cheering each other on. The carpenters telling the goldsmiths, you can do this. And the blacksmiths hurrying to get the job done so that they can produce their, get their product produced in, in a record time. And completing projects, it was a wonderful thing. Until you go down to Isaiah 41, starting at verse 21. Produce your cause, says the Lord. Bring forth strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. In other words, all this cheering each other on, God was saying, bring out the final product and let me see it. 22. Let them bring forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things, what they be, that that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare us things for to come. God's saying they're making idols. Bring the product out and have them talk to us about the past. Bring those idols out and tell them, tell us about the future, what's getting ready to happen. 23, show the things that are come to come here after. 
that we may know that ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil that we may be dismayed and behold it together. 24, behold, ye are of nothing and your work of naught. An abomination is he that chooseth you. You did all this cheering. You produced all this stuff in record time. And you all came together and unified. And it was a great thing you thought. And the Lord says, it's, a, it's an idol that can't tell us anything that you've sat up here. It's an abomination. In Ephesus, we have competitors uniting for a dumb cause. In the book of Isaiah, we have the account of all these workers cheering each other on and producing idols at a record pace. A dumb cause. Then we have Luke 23, 6, starting there. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean, speaking of Jesus. And as soon as Pilate knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod, who himself was at Jerusalem at the time. And when Herod saw Jesus, oh, he was exceedingly glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard many of things of him, and he just hoped he could see a little magic show, see a little miracle on the side here. Then Herod questioned with Jesus in many words. Jesus answered him nothing. Ten, and the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused Jesus. And Herod with his men of war sent him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Verse 12, and the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together for they were before, for before they were at enmity between themselves. These two guys became good friends because of their dislike of Jesus. Because they had a common goal. Can I say again? That's a dumb cause. That's something ignorant to bond over. So here's my point. If people are willing to bond and unite and lay down differences and cheer each other on and high-five each other over dumb causes, which truthfully were more than dumb, some were abhorrent, and abominations, how much more should we rally around a good cause? How much more should we high-five each other for doing a good deed? How much more should we lay our differences down and work for the Lord in unity? How much more should we cheer each other on? And just in case you think that I'm just trying to do some pep talk, no, I'm preaching the word. Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more 
as you see the day approaching. Let me not insult your intelligence in any way, but let me break Hebrews 10, 24 down just a little bit more. It's a fascinating verse. It's saying, everybody, you need to take note. You need to consider carefully. You need to discern and detect one another to do what? Why are we doing this? What may, why are we paying so much attention? What are we supposed to do now? The scripture says that we are to provoke Some of you are good at that. That word comes from a root word meaning a provocation, which literally jabs someone so they must respond. Hmm. My wife's in the floor here on hostess duty, so don't tell her I'm telling you this. I can get her madder than a hornet. All I have to do is take my hand and jab her in the side. I don't care when, how, I just jam her and she goes, eh, stop it. <laughs> Every time. But I have scripture for it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the writer of Hebrews is kind of giving us that picture. The writer of Hebrews is so serious about this. He is saying we need to carefully consider one another and provoke them, nudge them, poke them for what reason? To hurt them, to get them mad, to make them, no, provoke them so they get closer to Jesus. Provoke them so they do better things. Provoke them so they do good things. And then we have verse 25 that says, meeting up with one another, why? To cheer us on, to cheer each other on, to admonish one another, to encourage each other. All right, so I'm not saying we literally need to provoke in how we think of it in our mind, someone physically in the ribs so that they flinch or that they move, But can I say maybe we need to spiritually provoke one another? We are the the body of Christ. We are fitly framed together. Everyone has purpose. Everyone is important. So let me try to provoke you. You are more than conquerors through him that loved you. You can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth you. No weapon formed against you is going to be able to prosper. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God. God knows the plans he has for you to prosper you and to give you hope and a future. I hope you're feeling provoked and feeling closer to Jesus. Let me provoke some more and some more thought here. Can I ask you, what's the most important job that happened this morning? Some of you may say, well, preaching and teaching the word. Without the foolishness of the priest, we can't be saved. I'll agree that's important. But let me challenge you to think with me. If you drove up to this building and the weeds were to your knees and there was trash and used needles all over the parking lot, Would you have even got out of your car to come in here to hear the word? Or let's say that when you, that was well taken care of, but as soon as you walked in the building, there were busted windows out. It was dim because some of the lights were out, burned out. It smelled so bad in here because it hadn't been cleaned for years. Would you have even stayed to hear the word? Or you came in here and there was no electricity, no water, no utility because no one gave to pay for this to be on or no one sent the money to the companies to pay the bill and keep the utilities on. Would you stay and hear the word? Or what if you can't get to church 
And there was no one willing and trained or, or available to turn on the PA system and to run the video broadcast system. How could you receive the word then? Are you getting the picture that there is no way to say what job is the most or least important? I want to provoke everybody, you to move, to do good works. The janitorial team, you're spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. The landscaping team, you're perpetuating the gospel of Jesus Christ. The transportation team, they got to get here to hear the word of Jesus being spoken. The Spanish ministry, the deaf ministry, the children's ministry, the youth ministry, the hyphen ministry, all vitally important at spreading the gospel to the group you're in charge of so they can understand what the gospel is saying. And no one get offended because I didn't call you out. We are all in this together. We all should be provoking one another, cheering each other on, high-fiving everybody that does anything around the church. I hope you're understanding. It doesn't matter what you're doing. I want to provoke you to do it even more and to do more things. It is vitally important for the gospel to be spread. If people can rally and provoke each other to spur them on to do dumb and wicked things, how much more should the church provoke one another to get closer to Jesus, provoke one another to good works, cheer on the Bible quizzers, cheer on the choir and the culinary team, cheer on the greeters and the safety team, cheer on the nursery workers and the office staff and the photographers and the band, cheer on the maintenance team and the care teams, Cheer on the trash taker outers and the table setter uppers. Cheer on the light bulb changers and the floor sweepers. We are not in competition. We are one body with many members, but we're making a difference in this world and we're promoting the gospel. If you get to sing 12 times and I only get to sing once, I'm gonna provoke you to do even better. If you haven't touched the microphone in five years, provoke everybody else that does. Cheering people on, encouraging people in their giftings. I love when some of the younger ones get up here and they fumble and they're nervous and they try to say something and they're, they're doing the best they can and they didn't quite hit every note if they're singing the, the keys, they didn't quite get it right and the little mini melodies looks like herding cats up here but when they're done, this church cheers them on because we want them to know you're spreading the gospel. We are not rallying around and cheering each other on to make idols or to make the idols at record speed or to unite against the things of God. No, we are uniting and cheering and exhorting and encouraging and high-fiving and provoking each other to do more, to do better, to point everybody to Jesus. So maybe the weirdest service you've ever heard Provoke one another.